In the name of Jesus, amen. Sinning is a lot easier than forgiveness. Uh, Sinning more or less comes naturally. Forgiveness, that's another story. Uh, On the one hand, it's hard to receive, if for no other reason than that in order to get forgiveness, you have to admit, have to be a sinner, which does not come so naturally. On the other hand, the hand that Jesus tells a story about in our gospel lesson today, uh, forgiveness is is hard to give. I was reading a, a woman recently, she was uh, talking about forgiveness, and she used an analogy. Um, she's, she's married to a tort lawyer, uh, a professor of tort law. And if you don't know tort law, that's a tort comes from the word, same word we get our word torture, comes from a Latin word that means to twist or turn. So if you torture, you twist someone painfully. Tort law is all that stuff that deals with a pain caused by one party to another. And she says her husband talks like this about tort law. He says in tort law, when one person pains another person, say I uh, rear-end you and give you whiplash, there is created this fictional property, this fictional piece of property called damages, which then the hurter is required to purchase from the hurt e. And sometimes a jury helps with naming how valuable that piece of property is. She uses that, she says, I think this is why forgiveness is, is so difficult because in forgiveness, uh, the hurt E not only suffers a first injustice, you get rear-ended or you get lied to or betrayed, but then in addition to that, there's expected of you this personal sacrifice. That you go further after that first injustice, you also have to absorb this loss. You have to forego your right to, to make the rear-ender, the liar, the betrayer, make amends, make the, pay the damages, which is kind of another injustice. It's not a perfect analogy, but it kind of makes sense to me, the idea that forgiveness is so hard because it's a double injustice. I was wronged, and then I've got to be wronged again by forgoing the damages. It makes sense to me uh, of why there is so little talk about forgiveness, especially these days, a lot more about sin, a personal sin, about public sin, about a present sin, about a, a historical sin, about sin that I've done on purpose myself, and then systemic sin, with as hard as it is to swallow, is a kind of sin that I just get swallowed up to and swept up into. I can't really even help it. You know the sorts of things I'm happy about and all the arguments and dangers and angers even between families and friends that go on, the arguments about who should pay all the damages. Kind of makes sense. Just talk about that. And with all that sinning goes on, it then also makes sense that there's less talk about forgiveness. With all that injustice going on, who wants to hear about, talk about further injustice? Unless that is you're a Christian. Because we are forgiveness people. And even if you don't talk about it too much during the week, or even do it too much during the week, we make you talk about it at least twice on Sundays. (laughs) I acknowledge one baptism for the remission, for the forgiveness of sins. You make you say it. Write it out there for you to say it. Father, forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us as as we forgive. Make you talk about it. Maybe not many people talking about it unless you're a Christian and unless you happen happen to be Jesus. 
It's probably not too much of a stretch to say that Jesus talking so much about forgiveness, Jesus being so good at forgiveness, forgoing the the legal system set up to deal with it and just recklessly forgiving the damages of those who had caused more than their fair share of pain, probably not too much of a stretch to say that's what got Jesus killed. And so this story in our gospel lesson, more Jesus talking about more forgiveness. It's actually as a response of Peter trying to talk about forgiveness, but actually sounding more like a, a tort lawyer. <laughs> How many times is it again, Jesus? Is it, is it seven times that I'm supposed to forgive my brother? If, if Jesus had not cut Peter off, we can, we can imagine uh, maybe a, a follow-up question coming. And uh, when that woman rear-ended me, if she was texting, does that count as two sins of the seven? Or maybe if she gave me an unfriendly salute in the process, is that, is that three of the seven? Well, fortunately, Jesus does cut Peter off with some ridiculous math. How about 70 times seven? And then this even more ridiculous story. And it is ridiculous. Like many of Jesus' stories, his parables, there would have been lots of chuckling uh, from the people who, who first heard it. Not everyone, mind you, but, but the people who, who first heard it. It's easy to recap. There's this king, this, this king who has a slave who somehow has amassed a 10,000-talent debt, which would have uh, elicited the first chuckle because that is an insane amount of money. It's at least millions, perhaps hundreds of millions, perhaps billions of dollars in today's sort of money. The kind of debt a a slave could never imagine amassing. The kind of debt would simply be a joke (laughs) to even suggest he could suggest repaying. Of course he does. He falls on his knees. Oh, be patient with me, Lord. Be patient. I'll repay. Further funny. Unless you're going to live to be a a thousand years old, you know, surpass Methuselah and hit the Powerball multiple times, there's no repaying. The master says, but I'm merciful, ridiculously merciful. I'll absorb the damages, your debts paid. And then the the final, perhaps most ridiculous thing, this guy, this guy, he goes out and finds, finds, mind you, uh, not uh, uh, three months later when he was, you know, scraping around for change to, to pay the cell phone bill. But he goes out immediately and finds, like he's on the lookout, like some a debt collector with a long memory, finds the guy who owes him 100 denarii, which though it isn't nothing, is certainly not millions, is a, a manageable, repayable debt. He, he looks at him, and when he spots him, he doesn't say, drinks on me. You can't imagine what the king just did. No, hardly. Uh, Not even, uh, maybe we can set up a little repayment plan for the hundred denarii, which would be ridiculous enough in itself. But instead he bull rushes the guy, goes all MMA, puts him in a rear naked chokehold, demands every denarii right then and there, and then whilst he still has dirt on his knees from falling before his master, when his fellow slave falls on his knees begging for patience, no. Off to the jailers, rot until you pay every last penny. Ridiculous. What a ridiculous story. I mean, who who would ever respond to uh, a gift like that? A 
funny story. I said people would chuckle when they when they heard it, but for some reason or another, I, I imagine that Peter and the gang were not laughing so hard. It's one of those really funny stories until you realize that it's being told about you. It's a great joke until you realize the joke is on you and me. We're forgiveness people in here. By the authority of Christ, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Father, forgive us our trespasses. I acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Take, eat my body and blood given and shed for you for all your sins. Ten million, ten zillion, all of them. But then what? Is it drinks on us? Or is it never forget a debt collections agent demanding repayment? Too often the latter. Resentments remembered. Resentments fed, even savored. Because it tastes so good just to know that someone owes you to have you up here and, and them down there. Tort lawyers calculating damages to every last penny. Collections agents demanding repayment, at least some guilt and groveling, maybe demanding repayment even from the very person or people with whom you walk out the door. <laughs> From this house of forgiveness. Pretty horrible, aren't we? And I hope you feel guilty about it. After all you've been forgiven, how dare you? That's kind of the way I hear the parable <laughs> first. As this major guilt-inducing, after all I've done for you, how dare you, sort of thing. It's like, oh, I guess I better, I guess I better forgive now. But, uh, but I don't think that really works. Because uh, for some reason, I, I can't imagine if in telling this story, or someone else were telling a story and it went something like this, after the guy who owes uh, 10,000 talents is forgiven, he, he goes out, um, and instead of going MMA uh, chokehold when he finds his friend, um, he, uh, he shakes his head and he sighs and he says, well, I guess I don't want to tick off the king. <sighs> All right, I'll... I'll not drinks on me, but how about a how about a Coors Light at happy hour? <laughs> I, I mean, if I if I have to forgive you, oh, oh sure. I, I don't think that's quite the happy ending to to Jesus Jesus story here. Or it's something like this. You can remember other stories. You can think about this. How we're guilted into doing things. When I was a kid, I guess it was probably around 12 or 13 years old. When I had a couple odd jobs and things to do, I had a little bit of money of my own. I remember my parents coming to me and saying, "Well, you know, from now on, instead of us subsidizing, you are going to need um, to, to to spend your own money on Christmas presents for your brother and your sister." All right. To which I, of course, said, "Well, thanks be to God." He's blessed me with these great jobs. Filled with joy at receiving God's greatest gift, especially at Christmas. What a great opportunity to join in the joy of giving from my own 
blessings to bless my brother and sister. Of course, I didn't say that. Knew from the chuckles. Um, I probably said something like, well, I guess they're not getting any presents then. <laughs> not for me. To which my surely disappointed parents said, well, you don't have to. But you know, after all, you're going to get from us. After all the things Santa brings. I mean, not, men- not to mention the, the Jesus stuff. <laughs> it is kind of the least you can do. You don't have to. So what did I do? I searched for gifts as close to $9.62 as possible because with the 4% sales tax, that would put me at exactly the $10 that mom and dad required me to spend on my brother and sister. Not exactly the Christmas spirit. The purpose of this little story from Jesus, unlike my parents guilting me to give, it had to be done. The purpose of this story from Jesus is not to guilt me and you and Peter and the rest of the world's tort lawyers and collections agents into giving a little more forgiveness. It's not an, after all that I've done for you, how dare you not forgive? After all that I've put up with, the least you can do is forgive a little bit. No, that's just another one of those stories full of on the lookout for who owes you kind of thing. Demands of repayment, just more of that. If that was what Jesus was doing after all I've done for you, that's just placing another kind of debt over us. Adding to the stories we know too well because we tell them. Now Jesus, he tells us his story, this parable, to place alongside that story, the other stories, his story, the forgiveness story next to our stories, to give you and me a glimpse into the world ruled by this ridiculously merciful king where debts, real debts, big debts, are just forgiven and forgotten. And the drinks are on us. And the debtors' debtors prisons free. Jesus tells that story not to guilt you into forgiving, but that you might make that story your story. In fact, he's been doing that from day one, or at least in me, about day 12 or 13, whenever I was baptized. Because when you were baptized, you were baptized into that story. I mentioned that line from the Creed, from the Nicene Creed, the ancient words of the Creed. And we usually say, um, uh, confess, acknowledge one baptism for the remission or the forgiveness of sins. But the, the ancient words of that Creed could as easily be translated, one baptism into the forgiveness of sins. And i got to kind of tell you, I kind of like that translation better. Because when the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit got a hold of you in your baptism, it is for your forgiveness, but it's not just that. It's placing you into a whole new world. When you're baptized, it's like you've got new water to swim in. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit saying, Child, from here on out, you're going to swim in new waters. Not just waters that wash away your sin, but you're going to swim around in this new world where forgiveness abounds. You're going to carry with you this portable pool of pardon. And then what happens when very soon after you're placed into that pool, you start to to climb out like we do a lot of, climbing out of the into the forgiveness of sins, back into the world of debt collection. God does not come and say, after all I've forgiven you, how dare you? After all I've done, the least you can do is cut that proud, rambling pastor of yours some slack. No. God keeps us swimming in the water 
by just pouring it over us again and again and again. He doesn't come to you to guilt you into forgiving. To say, oh, I've forgiven you. The least you can do is forgive your wife or your husband or your children or your parents or the Democrats or the Republicans or the mask lovers or the mask haters, whoever it is that's hurt you. That's more debt collection hogwash. No, when we start climbing out of the pool, which we have a propensity to do, Jesus just comes with more water. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come to you with shower after shower, week after week, deluge after deluge of I forgive you, torrent after torrent of your debt is paid. All those skeletons in your closet are just that, dead bones, never to rise again. And if you say, because you are all excellent Bible scholars and readers of the text, and you listen to what I was reading, if you say, well, what about the end of the parable? Pastor always leaves off the hard parts of the parables. What about the end of the parable where the king does get all ticked off and send the unforgiver to jail? Well, I say that may be the end of the parable, but it's not the end of the story. For you know what happens after the unforgiver, who is all of us, ticks off the king and gets called on it? It's not in the parable, but it's in the story. On your way to the jailer, On your way to the jailer where the king has sent you, you fall on your knees and you say, Dear king, dear king with that crown twisted on your head, dear king who in your ridiculous mercy was once for me twisted and torn on the cross, you say, have mercy. And what does the king say? Does he say, no, your unforgiveness, that was the last straw. To hell with you. No, he says what he always says. The same thing he said before because he's a ridiculously merciful king. He says your debt is paid. He says the same thing he always says. Your sins are forgiven. Even your sin of unforgiveness. Eat and drink. Go in peace. Let the top shelf drinks be on you. And then when you do it again, whatever it is, because you will, He says it again, and again, and again, and again. And I'm not going to do it 490 times, but you get the point. He says it again in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Again. Amen.